And I'm going to read from the first verse, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Seen how Paul is summing up, having expounded the gospel that so thrills him, so excites him, a gospel that he delights in sharing with people and he's fully intending to arrive in Rome to share the gospel with people there. He's expounded that gospel and in chapter 12 he then comes to the therefore. What we do in response to that, because of course it demands a response, we can't listen to wonderful stuff like this and then think, well that's it. No, we've got to do something about it and he says the response is just to hand ourselves over totally to God. Nothing Uh, less than that would do. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Daily life, everything handed over to God. He says that's spiritual worship, a life given over to God. And then he goes on to speak about how we are changed, we're transformed, and we have a, a new view of ourselves that comes from a high view of God. We're no longer the center of our world. We're no longer thinking everything revolves around me. No, it all revolves around God. And we worship him. We're amazed with him. We get a realistic view of ourselves. And we also have a a, a right view of other people. We see that having come into Christ, we've actually come into a relationship with everyone else who is in Christ. Yes, we are called by name into something. We've come into the body. And last time we were looking at that, we... We're members of a body, the body of Christ. We saw that we actually belong to one another. The idea of being just an individual Christian, maybe dipping into this church or that from time to time, just testing things here and there, that's not a biblical idea. The biblical idea is we belong. We're we're part of something, an organic union, just as the the members, the limbs of our body belong and function within the body. So then Paul goes on to set out how this works. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Well, how does that work? Well, he says, we have different gifts, 
according to the grace given us. And then he goes on to speak about some of those gifts. So different gifts, we we tend to call them spiritual gifts. But when you look at it, you see that they're not all obviously what we might call spiritual. He he begins by referring to prophecy in verse 6. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And then he says, if it's serving, let him serve. Prophecy, serving. Now, prophecy is, we readily identify that, that's a spiritual gift. Serving, doing things for people, just seeing needs and meeting them. Maybe we wouldn't have thought that's particularly spiritual. But no, these are all gifts that God gives. And in fact, those first two there, it's significant that he puts them together. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, is encouraging people to use the gifts that God has given. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, um, and uh, verse 10, he says, Each one should use whatever gift is received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Then he says, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Two broad categories of gifts, speaking, serving. And here Paul begins with prophesying, serving. Equally spiritual gifts. Obviously, not all of these things that he mentions here will happen in a meeting. He's talking about life in general. When he's writing to the Corinthians in chapters 12 and 14, there he speaks about spiritual gifts, and there he's talking about when the church gathers together. And the gifts that he speaks about there are things that could happen, should happen in a gathering of the church. But here, it's a much broader idea of just the gifts that God has given us to build up the body of Christ. And we're not confined to just one gift each. If you think about it, that could, if that were the case, that we were confined to one gift each, then you could have a rather strange situation. For example, I could look at that list and uh, there in verse 8 see leadership. Say, right, I've got the gift of leadership, therefore I don't need to encourage people and showing mercy. I'm not going to show mercy. I'm a leader after all. No, we're not confined to just one gift. In fact, it is possible that someone could have all of these abilities. But what he's saying here is, Know what God has particularly given. What, what is your particular contribution? So, yes, maybe your, your particular contribution is prophesying. You'll also serve, you'll show mercy, you'll give, you'll have faith and so on. But you home in on what God has given you to do. Make, make more of that and emphasize it. Equally, Paul's intention here isn't that we should look at this list and say, I don't know what my gift is. And we kind of end up with a sort of negative, depressed introspection. I I can't do any of those things. No, he's saying we belong in the body. That's the positive fact. We belong. Each of us has a contribution. If you can't identify your gift, surely serving, surely encouraging people, Do what you are able to do, in other words. But don't try and do everything. Don't try and spin all the plates. But 
Do what you're able to do. If you know the gift God has given you, then home in on that. But we belong to one another, and God gifts us so we can build up the church. Now, sometimes we say to people, maybe people who are working too hard, we say, you've got to realize you're not indispensable. Have you ever given that advice to anyone? You're just not indispensable. I would say looking at this passage here, well, I know why people say that, but actually, I want to say to each one of you, you are indispensable. You belong. The body needs you. You're part of it. And if you don't function with what God enables you to do, we are the poorer. We belong to one another. And God enables us to do things that contribute into the life of the church so that the church is healthier. And we see all of the, the, these, these gifts, and together they represent the body, the body of Christ. In other words, if we want to understand these things, we look at Jesus. We see what he did, how he functioned. He modeled these things. And that gives us an understanding of what they are. Well, let's look at the first one in the list. And it says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. The first thing we have to say about that is, that is a terrible translation. Because you could look at that and say, from if you just took that, you could say, ah, it's only men who are allowed to prophesy. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Therefore, women, forget about it. This is for men only. No, it does not say that. The, what it, it's translating a very cryptic little statement. It just says, if prophecy in proportion to faith. That's what it actually says. Or if you want to be more literal, if prophecy according to the analogy of faith. What does that mean? Oh, well, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. That's a kind of paraphrase, but it's not, the word men is, or man is not in the text. So if, if the gift is prophecy in proportion to faith, use it in proportion to faith. Now, what do we mean by prophecy? Prophecy it's got a wide range of meaning. But basically, it's a revelation, an impression that God gives that's expressed in words. It's, it's an impression on, on the mind of the person prophesying, and they express it in words. It's a, a wide range of things, a, a verbal revelation. And there's a whole spectrum, as I say, of meaning to it. And again, Jesus models it. So let's look at some examples in the life of Christ. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and uh, verse 42, we have Andrew bringing his brother Simon to Jesus. And it says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. What's prophetic about that? Well, Jesus is looking at this guy and he sees a quality in him and gives him a new name that matches the quality. He's a rock like you. You're going to be a rock. It's, a, it's an insight that is then spoken out. We see that 
happening again, just a few verses down. Philip finds a guy called Nathaniel, brings him to Jesus. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Jesus, this is what we, we would call perhaps a word of knowledge. Jesus is saying, I, I saw you before I actually physically saw you. And I see into your heart and I see who you are. I see you are a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Some people speculate that Nathaniel was under that fig tree meditating on the life of Jacob. Now, that be that as it may. If he were, what we know about Jacob is he had the name Israel and he was a cheat. And if Nathaniel was sitting under that fig tree, just thinking about the life of Jacob, then Jesus is reading his mail. Here's a real Israelite in whom there's nothing false. I saw you. Prophetic insight. In John chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 25, uh, well, verse 24, Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them. He knew all men. He didn't need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. The prophet sees into people. We see that happening then in chapter 4 when he's sitting by a well and a Samaritan woman comes and he asks her uh, if she will draw water from the well for him, give me something to drink. A conversation ensues. And then in verse 16, he says, go and call your husband and come back. She says, I haven't got a husband. He said, you're right when you said you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have isn't your husband. What you've said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Jesus has seen the secrets. And notice the wisdom there. He does, as soon as she comes to the well, he doesn't say, you're an adulteress. No, he says, give me something to drink. Now a conversation develops. And then he says, go call your husband. He knows the situation. Go and call your husband. He's drawing her out. Then when it's right, he exposes the secrets of her heart. She opens up and meets Jesus as he really is, the prophet in action. In Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be turned over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. A very different kind of prophesying now. Not just reading into someone's heart. Now, predicting accurately what is going to happen in the future. He sees the future. In the Old Testament, a prophet is often called a seer. And really, the, we see Jesus doing that. He's seeing into people's hearts. He's seeing into the future. He understands what's in people. He's, got, he's able to speak words to, uh, to convey that. In Luke chapter 21, Luke 21 and 
Verse 5, some of his disciples are in Jerusalem now. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the, the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as to what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. That was going to happen in AD 70, about 35 years further on. But he sees it and he prophesies it. So we see a spectrum there. And we see that Jesus is not going into some kind of trance and speaking in a funny voice. He's, he's seeing things and speaking it out in relationship with people. It's normal communication, but having an impression from God and speaking it. So when someone prophesies, they're not being taken over by something. They don't have to put on a funny voice. Just speaking out what God says and the scripture says in 1 Corinthians that the, 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 the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. It's not taken over, not in some kind of ecstasy, but able to communicate at an appropriate time. Jesus, with the woman at the well, he, he, he speaks, says what he says at an appropriate time. He draws her out. It's not, I must speak it. I couldn't help myself. No, we're not carried away by something. It's, it's an impression that God gives and it's used as it's appropriate. And indeed, what Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, when he, uh, when he addresses those whose gift is prophesying, he says, in proportion to faith, or I said literally, according to the analogy of, of, of the faith. And the, 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 the footnote says, in agreement with the faith. What it's saying is, a prophet prophesies within faith because whatever we do, we do in faith. And of course, it calls for faith. For Jesus to say those things, not one stone is going to be left on another, that's a statement of faith. He's, he's speaking out in confidence. He's believing that it's the right thing to say. A prophet always has to step out of safety to say things, I believe God is saying this. It's according to faith. But also, it is according to the faith. It will agree with Scripture. It's, in, it's consistent with Scripture. It's not further revelation. God has spoken, and this is God's infallible word. When the prophet speaks, it is in agreement with the Scripture. If a prophet ever brings something that is not in agreement with the Scripture, you don't listen to it, because this is the truth, and we prophesy in agreement with the Scripture. Because when we prophesy, it is not infallible. The Bible is. The Bible is without error. But when we prophesy, the prophet can get it wrong. It's not infallible. And if someone prophesies, and maybe they're indicating something that is going to happen and that thing doesn't happen, you don't resort to the Old Testament when, if there was a false prophet, you stoned them. No, we don't do that. We recognize it's according to the faith. It's according to faith. And people are venturing out. Yeah, they got that one wrong. Maybe they overstepped what God was revealing. It can happen. And because we belong to one another, we love one another, uh, and we readily accept that we are all fallible. In 1 Corinthians 13, 9, it says we prophesy in part. Don't see the whole picture. Sometimes it's possible to go beyond what God is saying. It, it isn't infallible and it's not a plaything. it's not 
divination. It's not fortune-telling. And it's not to be used kind of for fun. And sometimes you see worrying trends in the churches of uh, prophetic gift almost becoming something that is played with. You see a horrible, horrible instance of that in the New Testament in Luke chapter 22. It's in other Gospels as well, but you can see it in Luke 22, verse 64. Jesus has been arrested and Luke 22:64. they blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? It's reducing the thing to just kind of divination. No, 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 it's not like that. It's not a plaything. It's a gift, a wonderful gift that God gives to build up the church. It's revelation that God gives for the good of the body. So why does God give prophecy? Well, because of who God is and because of who we are. Because God is our Father. Because he loves us, he communicates with his children. He's a good father. He's not a God who is far away, he's, he's remote from us, leaves us to get on with it, find your way through life, make your mistakes. No, he's a God who loves his children. He's our father, and so he communicates with his children. He sees things. He cares. He loves. He speaks. He's not silent. It's a God who speaks. He's a personal God. And so he gives the gift of prophecy, as I say, not as a plaything, not just to amaze us, but to do us good. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, it says, Everyone who prophesies speaks to men, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Prophecy comes to strengthen us. The word means to build up. It's a word used of house building. God gives words not just to fascinate us, not just to amuse us or entertain us, not so that we can notch up a score. There were so many prophecies this morning or whatever. No, it's to strengthen, to actually build us up. And then when we're listening, we need to realize that's what it's for, to build us up, to encourage, to, to stir into action, to motivate for action, to encourage us, say, press on. It's worth going forward, to build us up, to encourage, and to comfort, to instill a sense of rest in God, peace with God. As the old hymn said, it is well with my soul. When prophecy comes, it tells yes, God does love me, and he's encouraging me for action, and he's, it's, it's edifying, it's building me up. God loves us. He's our Father and so he speaks. He's spoken in Scripture that is absolutely foundational. But he's amongst us. And when he's amongst us, you can expect him to say things. So why prophecy? Well, because of who God is. And secondly, because of who we are. Because of our need. Because we're likely to get distracted from God. Distracted from his purposes. Distracted from his what he's doing now, we can be discouraged. There can maybe be setbacks, disappointments, and we just maybe sit back a bit, not willing to venture again in faith. We can be deceived by things. There can be all kinds of things happening. God sees all of that, and he doesn't just stand back and, and watch all that. No, he speaks into it. And 
So the prophetic gift comes to us because of our need. There's a, a wonderful example of that. Many examples of it, but a particular one in the Old Testament that I particularly love, uh, and that's in the book of Haggai. God's people had gone into exile because of their sins, 70 years in exile. While they were into exile, Jerusalem has been destroyed, overrun. It's just a, like a bomb site. The temple is no more. And then they're allowed, some of them are allowed to come back out of exile and they arrive in Jerusalem and they've heard the stories about Jerusalem, the glory of the temple and what they see is just wreckage, it's derelict. And they kind of half-heartedly start rebuilding but it's nothing like what they've heard it was like in the past and is it even worth carrying on and they kind of give up and just start building their own houses because they've just got no heart for this. And the prophet Haggai comes. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 13, an impressive prophecy. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. That's it. If you blinked, you missed it. But what a word. What a word. For people who are discouraged, is it worth pressing on? God says, I'm with you. I don't think of a more encouraging, edifying, comforting word than that. And notice the prophet doesn't dress it up with a few of his own thoughts. You might thought, that's not enough to say. That's all they need. I'm with you, declares the Lord. And it says they're stirred up and they get building. Yeah, the prophet is God amongst his people seeing their need, seeing where they're at, and just saying what they need that galvanizes into action, encourages, brings peace into their hearts. It's because God loves us and because we need his love. Why prophecy? Well, for those two reasons, because of who God is and because of who we are. When Jesus was walking around on earth. He had his 12 disciples and he was training them. They were with him continually. He was, he was encouraging them. He was building them up. He was correcting them when they were confused about things, deceived or whatever. He was there to speak to them. Then they kind of depended on him. When something went wrong, they would turn to him and say, why couldn't we do that? He had answers for them. It was great. The 12 with Jesus. Jesus explaining things, encouraging them. It was great. And then he drops the bombshell. He's going to leave them. But they depend on him. And they're so used to him speaking into their lives and addressing things and even saying some hard things. Simon Peter, get behind me, Satan. Terrible things, but he's addressing things. They're used to that. Jesus amongst them said, I'm leaving you. But then he says to them, in John chapter 14, when he's preparing them, he's dropped the bombshell. He's not going to be with them forever. He will go. But he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you bereft. He says, I will come to you. What does he mean? I won't leave you orphaned. That's how they're taking it. He's going. Now I'll come to you. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. When the Spirit of God comes, prophesying comes. 
Yes, he's still here. He's still seeing what's happening in this year, this month, this, this, this week. And he speaks. Yes, it's in agreement with the Scripture. It's not adding to Scripture at all. It's totally consistent with that. But it's God with us. God amongst us. That's why prophesying. God doesn't want us like orphans. God doesn't want us just remembering 2,000 years ago. God doesn't want us just trying to make our own way. His whole intention was, I will not leave you like that. I'll come to you. And so Paul says here, if your gift is prophesying, prophesy. The church needs that gift because it brings the presence of God and it brings the word that we need now. I remember when I was a teenager, the church I was I grew up in the church I belonged to. Um, it was a, an Anglican church, and so church meetings were according to the prayer book, and there was certainly none of this stuff happening. And I remember I was going through a time when a, a lot of questions I had, and I was asking different people, what should I do about this, what should I do about that, and uh, getting different answers. And I thought, I, I, just, I need to get this resolved. And so uh, I, I was a bit naughty, really. Uh, I left, the, I went one Sunday instead of meeting with the church I belonged to, I went to another church uh, where I knew they used spiritual gifts. And I went there thinking, I, I need to hear God. And I'm in that meeting, it's all very different from what I'm used to. And then someone prophesied, very simple prophecy, you're talking to many other people, but why don't you talk to me, says the Lord. Ah, that's what I went there for. I'm talking to so many people. Getting, and getting conflicting advice. The prophetic word just unlocks things. It's God saying, I know you. I see your heart. And oh, that's what I need. Churches should be like that. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy. The church needs it. And you might say, I've only got a little word. I'm with you, says the Lord. And Haggai could have thought, I can't say that. No, that was the word that was needed. It hasn't got to be long. It hasn't got to be in a funny voice. Again, I remember when uh, back in days of old, when I was young, people, the, the Bible that people used was, of course, the authorized version, the King James Version. So people, when they, when they prophesied or interpreted, felt they had to speak in Elizabethan English. Verily, verily, thus saith the Lord, and this kind of stuff. And you don't have to do that. God is up to date, actually. He's, uh, he's aware of 2012. Then you had bizarre things like, Verily I say unto thee, as I said through my servant Abraham. Or was it Isaac? <laughs> God doesn't forget. <laughs> and if you couch it in Elizabethan English, it's even more bizarre. No, it's us speaking out what we feel God has given us. We don't need to go beyond it. We don't need to dress it up. We don't need to give the background of, well, I was shaving this morning and I felt good. No, we don't need to know that. Just bring the word. Just bring the word. And that's what people need. And it's so edifying. It's God amongst us. So it says, and I said the, the, the translation here is not good. It says, if a man's gift is prophesying. No, it doesn't say a man. Who can prophesy? Anyone can. Men, women, children. It's wonderful. When young children baptize in the Spirit are not just in the meeting thinking this is for adults, but they're listening to God as well. 
And I remember prophecies I've heard from young children speaking out just what God has given them. Yes. And you don't say it's wonderful just because it's a child. No, it's wonderful because it's prophecy. You hear God's word. Who can prophesy? Anyone can. Men, women, children, teenagers, whatever. If you know God and if you're baptized with the Spirit, if you belong to the church, you're not a passenger, you're indispensable. You're part of the body. And there are different gifts, but if prophecy, then use it. Use it. You belong. Don't deprive people of the impression God has put in your heart to share with people. That's why he gave it. So we share it. We stir ourselves to get into this. We don't need to dress it up, as I've said. And we don't kind of follow trends. It's what God gives us, not what we feel people want to hear. It's, it's, we're honest. It's, God has given me this. I don't know whether people need to hear it, but God has given it. And, and so we're, it's, we're responding to God. One of the, the big problems you see in the Old Testament is that very often the prophets got together. And when the prophets got together, it was generally bad news. Because they started getting a kind of consensus of, of what to say. And you find that the key prophets in the Old Testament were very often loners. Now, it's not like that now. We're in the church. We belong. We're not loners anymore. But nonetheless, the prophets don't kind of agree on their message together. They speak what God says. And so you see, well, I mean, Amos, for example, he was so sickened by what he saw happening. He's saying, I'm not a prophet. But he didn't want to associate himself with these people who are just concocting the message. Well, obviously he was a prophet, but he didn't want to associate with them. And then you see Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who suffered terribly because of his integrity. He was only going to speak what God gave him to say, even if people didn't like it. And he was on his own, and certainly he disagreed with what the other prophets were saying. And in Jeremiah 23 and verse 16... God says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you'll have peace. God's not saying that. They say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord? to see or hear his word. And then God says, I didn't send those prophets. I've run with their message. I didn't speak to them, yet they've prophesied. And they say, I've had a dream. I've had a dream. They're just agreeing together with what they think people want to hear. God says, prophets stand in his counsel. They hear from him and they speak what he says. No more, no less, not dressing it up, but are speaking the word. And those who listen, then when we hear prophecy, it's not infallible, it isn't scripture, but it is to be consistent with scripture. So we're evaluating that, is it consistent with scripture? And we take it seriously. Paul writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and uh, verse um, 
19, he says, Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now, if we've got to test everything, it's possible for us to kind of treat it lightly. Well, it might not be right. No, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Why? Well, because of what we said. Prophecy is God amongst us, seeing our need and speaking into our need. So when someone is prophesying, let's take it seriously. Now, risk of offending. I'm, I'm, I don't want to offend anyone, but I do want to teach. And I'm not lapsing into, well, if I teach, I don't have to show mercy. <laughs> I say mercifully. If someone is prophesying, they're at the mic, they're speaking a word, and you think, hey, that's, that's like what I had. And so uh, maybe, maybe I'm down there, and I, I'm the one who's, who's got the mic, and I've given it to some, they're prophesying, and, and you come up, and you nudge me on the arm, and you want to share with me what you've got. Someone's just prophesying. You're not listening. You're aware of what you want to say. Do you want people to listen to you? Well, why not listen to them? We don't treat it with contempt. Don't think, oh, I, I've got a contribution. Listen. Weigh it. It's what the Bible says. You get the weight of it. And maybe you've got something to follow on. But do, don't treat it with contempt. Don't treat it lightly. And, hey, you know, it's often the case. I could maybe come up with an explanation, but it would be speculation. When there's a prophecy, that's often the time when the babies start making a noise. You notice that? Why? Well, I'm not going to speculate, but it happens. Can I say, don't be distracted at that point. Don't be distracted. Don't treat prophesying with contempt. Hey, God's amongst us. Let's listen. Let's make sure we've got hold of it. And we don't want to rush on too quickly. We don't want to immediately launch into a song. Hey, let's get it. Now, of course, for the person prophesying, if we take it seriously, it can give them a problem. Because they've just stepped out and they've brought the word. And because we're taking it seriously, that word is followed by what seems like an hour of silence. It's only half a minute, but it's just... And, and, and they, oh, did I get it wrong? No, the silence is because we're hearing it. We're taking it on board. We're not going to rush on. We're not going to come in with, well, I think, or I've got a song, and I'll just we instantly launch into it. No, we're hearing it. We'll make sure we've got it. Because when we go downstairs for coffee, we, we don't want to think, I've clean forgotten what that was. We rush on too quickly. We don't get it. Why is there prophesying? Because God wants to speak. Well, then let's honor him by listening, taking it on board, hearing what God... Why did God want me to hear that? I'm getting it, getting hold of it. It's doing me good. So we need to take note. Remember, as we're, uh, as we've been taken through the early chapters of Revelation, the repeated refrain... He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hey, let's listen. Let's hear what the Spirit is saying. Let's get hold of it. Yes, we exercise discernment. We're going to test it, but we honor it. Why? Because 
God has given this wonderful gift. That's why. Because God's saying, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I will come to you. Hey, we welcome you here. We welcome you here. And we welcome your word. We hear you. We're going to let it build us up. We're going to be encouraged by it. We're going to receive the comfort from it. We value everything that God gives. When Paul is addressing some of the chaos in Corinth, and he's saying, when the church gathers together, you need to focus on what builds people up. And he says, especially prophecy. Especially the gift of prophecy. And when The prophet Joel in the Old Testament is speaking about the new day that's coming when God's going to pour out his spirit. What does he say? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The church, the body of Christ, is meant to be a prophetic community. It's meant to be the sort of community that when people come in, Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, when an unbeliever comes in, he hears people prophesying and he'll say, God's amongst you. Yes, prophesying is the sign. God's amongst you and is the God who is alive and he speaks well then we need to stir ourselves up gifts need to be stirred up if God has given you the gift of prophecy when did you last exercise it hey don't deprive us now maybe your gift is that big and you hear others and they're oh they're amazing Well, Haggai just said, I am with you, declares the Lord. Hey, that's good. That's wonderful. doesn't need to be massive. That's what God's saying. Stir up the gifts. And all of us, let's honor that gift. Let's hear it. Let's let it build us up. Prophecy demonstrates God's alive and he's amongst his people. He is alive. He is amongst his people. Are we his people really welcoming him? I want to provoke you, us this morning. We're a body together. We belong together. God has given gifts. Well, then use it. Let's pray.